Hello, and welcome to the Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes. The no-nonsense podcast written and presented by me, Sally Hughes, and brought to you by Avon. We're here each week to discuss all your beauty concerns, from the practical to the political, the deeply serious to the deliciously superficial, all with a host of industry experts at the very top of their game. Today is a very special open surgery episode devoted to you, our listeners. We've received such a huge number of questions on skincare routines and problems that we decided to shave down the chat to get as many of them answered as possible. Ready to help are my two deeply respected guests. Dr. Emma Craythorn is consultant dermatologist and chief troubleshooter on Quest's Bad Skin Clinic, and Jennifer Rock is a skincare expert and founder of online skin consultation service SkinNerd.com and the creator of Skingredient Skincare Products. I'm thrilled that they'll be answering your questions, and I promise I'll try not to butt in with my own advice for a change. Hello. 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 Thank I'm you for so us. chuffed to have you here. It's, it's a bit of a Celtic lineup, isn't it? We've yes. got Emma representing Northern Ireland, we've got me representing South Wales, and we've got you representing Dublin. Hooray. Delighted. <laughs> One day we will take over. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so we have tons and tons of questions and I'm going to get straight to them. And it's great, actually, because we've all got very different perspectives. Just before we kick off, Jennifer, can you just briefly talk about what it is that you would do on a day to day basis with people's skincare complaints and questions? So with clients, we have, I suppose, 15,000 clients in our database. So every single day we're trying to just keep it as simple as possible. We almost describe ourselves like personal trainers for your skin. Ultimately, people will buy a cleanser, a serum and SPF anyway. We just want to educate them as to what they should be using. I just think it should be simple. I don't believe in the 16, 17 skincare step no. regime. I don't, I'd love to have the time for it. I just don't think it's feasible. So for me, the key thing would be cleansing thoroughly, not over cleansing, and put a serum on, vitamin A, vitamin C, antioxidants, peptides, a little bit of hyaluronic now and again, and then an SPF. Emma, your patients just must run the gamut of skin complaints. You're dealing yeah. with really big stuff like skin cancer and then also cosmetic applications of dermatology. Yeah, that's right. So I come from an, an area of medicine, so specialised within the training of dermatology, which means that the patients who come to me on the whole generally have a problem with their skin. So it's not just about maintaining the health of your skin or trying to prevent problems in the future, which we think about with our normal day-to-day -day skincare routine. But a lot of these patients have true significant problems. And what we're trying to do is work out a way that we can um, help them to improve the skin that they currently have to try and get it back to better skin health and then give them a maintenance program that they'll be able to continue on in the future because a lot of it is that unfortunately people are have the genetics that they're born with the skin that they have and if they run into problems with it whether it's acne or melasma or other very serious problems um, that you see sometimes on the bad skin clinic then um, it's about trying to get on top of those and then about education about how to try and prevent them from coming back. And it's about I think the one thing that you do have in common and I think I do as well is that it's also about making someone their own skincare expert That's isn't right. it? because nobody will ever be an expert in your skin like yeah. you will because you live in it right I spent my childhood under the care of an NHS dermatologist because I was born with ichthyosis and I ended up being discharged because I was so much better at looking after it than they were That's because right. I lived in it yeah. I, I was obsessed with it it's why I ended up doing the job I do and so what we're going to do today is hopefully educate people to get to know their own skin and how to look after their own skin. 
I think you raise a really important point there because even in some of my patients who are who carry risk for skin cancers, for example, they will be seen and they'll be followed up. But actually, the skin cancers that get picked up tend not to be at that one year appointment or that six month appointment. It's the things that they notice themselves at yeah, home whenever they've got a systematic way of looking at their skin. So that's probably exactly the point that you've said. It's about that education so that patients can or people, I keep referring to everybody as a patient, but that they have enough information to look after themselves in the right way for them. Yeah, it's what's, it's knowing what's normal for you, what's healthy Correct. for you, what's achievable exactly. for it's you. It's hard though, isn't it? Because there's so much misinformation out there as oh well. Oh God, Google yeah. can tell you the, the <laughs> right and the wrong. Jennifer, you know so, how I feel about this. I do. I just, I think it's, it is about education and the responsibility is on us. So we always say in Nerd HQ, the skin is an organ and respect it accordingly because mm-hmm. people treat it like an accessory. They put tan on, they paint it mm. with their, you know, their makeup, they sleep in it, they abuse it. And it's often not like you say with your patients that they feel really, they have to go to a doctor, that that's when they tend to pay attention but I'd encourage people to try and look after it as young as possible and just do treat it like an organ and don't overcomplicate it so you can feel pun intended and not intended feel good in your own skin I mean the point of the skin being an organ is an interesting one because it's the it's the only one where we're given a, a visual idea of how it's doing you know the rest the rest is invisible we have to imagine how so how I, we're I feeling all the time I'm like if your heart was in your hands obviously you'd have a situation I understand that but you, you'd look after <laughs> it you know you'd look yeah. after your lungs if you can and see it it's yeah. a visual barometer often what's happening internally but also you can look at it on the outside should we get stuck yes. in then and see That's how we go okay Thank you, by the way, to everyone who sent in their questions. There are bloody hundreds of them. (laughs) We've got absolutely loads. Um, And you are able to still keep sending them. And if a show comes up where I can fit them in, I definitely will. But as for today, let's kick off with Katrina. I'd love to know what the experts use themselves, what treatments they have and what they'd steer clear of. The most important thing, which every dermatologist will tell you, um, is to find a sunscreen that you like. So I say that to all of my patients. You know, when our skin is, you know, we think about our skin being an organ that we want to look after. Well, the thing that damages our skin more than anything extrinsically is UV radiation. Um, And it's about trying to find that um, sun factor that you like and that you will continue to wear. Um, And it's a sun factor that's going to be a broad spectrum. In other words, it's going to cover both long and shortwave UVA and it's going to give you enough protection on the UVB that's not going to become photo unstable. You know, if you think you've got to put on your sun cream every two hours really to get that effect, um, it's very hard to do that, particularly if it's a compounds of sun cream and formulas that you don't really like. So for my own sunscreen, I use the La Roche-Posay Comfort, mm-hmm. um, which is the one with the blue line. And in the summer months, I use the Bioderma Photoderm Max M mm-hmm. because I have melasma. Um, and it's, it's just so important important to ensure that you can really keep those UVA, UVB waves down, particularly um, if you do have melasma. So that's what I use as my sunscreen. The most important thing to wash my face, I use the Roseliac Micellar Cleansing mm-hmm. um, Solution um, to wash with. And then I use their AR Serum because I also have rosacea. And then for the in the evening, I use a tretinoin 0.05% mm-hmm. um, in a cream format. And then I use the SkinCeuticals Epidermal Repair as my moisturiser for the evening 
partly because of the dimethicone that's in it. It's so supportive of the skin if you're using a tretinoin and you've got sensitive skin like rosacea. And I don't bother with the vitamin C and I don't bother with the glycolic acid in the morning because I just find it too irritating to try and get the right quantity of vitamin C. It's too acidic for my kind of rosacea prone skin. So um, my cleanser, um, moisturiser, sun factor and a tretinoin at night. That's it. Jennifer, you mentioned at the top of the show there what constitutes your daily routine. But Katrina wants to know about treatments. Are you then slicing in treatments to that routine or not? I just I, don't have the bloody time, do you? It's the time, isn't it? Like, I'm a facialist by profession, so mm. I suppose, yes, I've always, like for the last 15 years or so, really been an endorser of treatments. And I know the analogy that's often given is if you go to your dentist and you haven't brushing your teeth, i.e. if you go to a facialist and you're not doing what you're supposed to do at home, you're only going to get so far results-wise. Yeah. Yes, I do go to them. I really believe a lot of what you do at home is is absolutely crucial. So yeah, it's not dissimilar to what you say, Emma. I suppose for me, SPF is key as well to protect. And I think you're absolutely spot on. It has to be something that you enjoy applying. Yeah. It's compliance. And by that, I mean like putting it on every day is more important than, you know, buying one that somebody recommended that you think is the best of the best, but you're not going to like it because consistency exactly. or how your makeup might adhere over it. And that's the reality. So completely agree. I had a big argument with a very well-known brand founder a couple of years ago um, about this very point. And, and she was talking about sunscreen. And I was saying the best sunscreen is the one you wear. That's, and if it's not, if it's not, yeah. if it's not pleasant, if your makeup doesn't you go over nicely, if it, it makes you feel a bit sweaty, if it makes you feel a bit spotty or whatever it is, then it's a useless sunscreen mm. because it won't get worn and therefore yep. it can't do its job. So true. And there is such, I think we've we've come on leaps and bounds in terms of the elegance of texture in sunscreens in recent years for to that very point, yep. I think. People didn't want to wear them. No, we have this, I suppose, nostalgic memory of them as a child on the beach and having this real, te- like a real thick, Stuck sticky. With sand. Yeah, no thanks. So yeah, I think consistency is definitely key and the texture in an SPF is vital. Cleansing, I I'm a big fan personally of salicylic acid. I would, you had ichthyosis. I suffered with acne as a teenager and have tried every medication under the sun. So I suppose now for me, it's more of a maintenance program like you spoke about, Emma. So I find that that tends to help me keep my congestion, oil, um, microchromodons, blackheads um, at bay. And treatment-wise, I would tend to go maybe once or twice a year. I I am a fan of the treatment hydrofacial if I have an event on or if I have to be camera-worthy the next day. I don't necessarily know if I believe it truly fixes or has any long-term no, but impact. it's an instant boost. Actually. And sometimes you need that, even just to feel better in yourself. Yeah. You've been flying a lot, etc. I do love um, tr- um, treatments with technology. I love iontophoresis, sonophoresis, high frequency. So the old school, traditional, facialist skincare. It's just not as rampant in Ireland and the UK as it is perhaps in mainland Europe. When I worked there, it was just every second facial was with equipment. So that's starting to become something I adore. Do you have a lot of time for LED? So I do like modalities but as I said in tandem with or ensuring that I have the core right at home first. How to pick a good dermatologist we see this all the time on social media where I often find that people who don't really know what they're talking about just tell people on social media oh go and see a dermatologist as though that's a normal thing that people do that's not a normal thing that people do good luck trying to get a cash strapped NHS to refer you to a dermatologist for something that's not particularly um, health threatening 
And then in terms of going private, I just don't think people know where to start. They don't know how to even find one, never mind pay for one, how they go about the process. So Emma, I suppose your best place to answer that. What yeah. would you recommend? This is a really interesting question, actually quite topical at the moment because of the rise in social media and a lot of people um, claiming to be dermatologists. It's very confusing for somebody who wants to find a dermatologist. So I'm the I'm the president of our British Cosmetic Dermatology Group, which is... Um, it's interesting because I also get a lot of um, uh, directed comments and questions from the Advertising Standards Authority looking at people who are claiming to be dermatologists yeah. and not being dermatologists. And it's quite hard to direct the public in the right way. And actually, at the moment, there's a campaign starting to happen um, that we will be able to brand consultant level dermatologists Brilliant. with a logo that only the BAD and the GMC have approved. It's quite easy to find who dermatologists are. You can go to the GMC register and if you put in the person's name, it will come up with the qualifications that that person has. You would be shocked if you went on to see the number of people who claim to be consultant dermatologists who actually are not on the specialist register. So what you need to do is put in the name and then it comes up with specialist register whether they are truly a dermatologist or yes, not. because dermatologist has kind of become a catch-all term Correct. for doctors who give Botox. Yes, exactly. So, it, so there are lots of um, medically qualified doctors, doctors of some discipline Correct. Um, who, because they deliver injectables, because they administer um, the cosmetics, Yes. injectables, they are then called dermatologists, which of course is a completely different thing. The British Association of Dermatologists will have a list if you're within the UK and the same within Ireland, there's there's a list of um, dermatologists so you can access it from there. And then after that, it's about looking at reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of review sites, um, for example, like Doctify or I Want Great Care, they have to come from the patients themselves. So it's not just people randomly writing things on um on Google and then it getting onto the um, onto a review, it has to be true patients that that doctor has seen. So that's another way of trying to vet it out. So I suppose check that they truly are a dermatologist. Look to see what the reviews are like, um, and if that dermatologist treats the condition that you have. That's terrific advice. Very good. Avon has championed breast cancer awareness for over 25 years and donated £20 million to charities. This Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Avon and Copper Feel are launching Breast Breaks. The campaign aims to encourage women and men to take the time to check their breasts and pecs regularly to spot the early signs of breast cancer. You can find out more by visiting avon.uk.com forward slash causes. Take a hashtag breast break. Victoria's question um, is one of my most asked questions. Certainly my most watched video ever is on layering, so I'm not at all surprised to see this question here. She wants to know, I need help with the order of things. I used to cleanse, tone and moisturise, and now there's vitamin C, retinol, (laughs) serum, eye cream, various other stuff. I'm confused. And the emphasis on SPF 50 every single day, even in overcast, cloudy, winter UK days, really? If so, where does that fit into the rest? See, I have quite strong views on this because it's 
quite a lot I don't use. I don't believe in eye cream. It's just moisturiser for your eyes. It's our commonly asked question on the site. People ask all the time, but what eye cream? I'm 30 now. It's my birthday next month. It's like, it. it's not. First of all, I don't believe it's necessarily your birthday dictated. And secondly, I, I just believe invest in a serum. It's an anti-aging moisturiser in a much smaller pot for more money. Yeah, yeah, it's a marketing. I think we all agree that it's a waste yeah. of money. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so what about the rest? I mean, she has a point. So back in the day, there was Cleanse Toner Moisturise, the regime invented by Clinique in the 60s. And that was skincare for decades and decades and decades. And it's still, those are still the pillars, I guess, if you switch tone for exfoliate. Um, but where are we fitting everything else? For me, I suppose, yes. And I think Clinique have, I believe what Clinique did really cleverly was educate people that there are steps to it because it is a minefield. It is confusing. And I completely agree with Victoria's question. I think now, interestingly, there's more brands than ever. There's technically more education available than ever, but yet it's actually more confusing than ever. So I personally believe in double cleansing at night. I live in a city. I'm constantly in and out. So I do believe in, you know, removing my makeup as my first cleanse. And my second cleanse is actually treating my skin, be it with my salicylic acid or just a cream cleanser I'm not a fan of toner I don't I don't necessarily feel especially if I'm leaning on a slight bit of acid that there's no need for a toning per se they no. used to be designed to be astringent to remove your cleanser if you're using a mitt obviously I'm biased because of the cleanse off mitt but if you're using a mitt or a flannel or a face cloth to remove I just don't feel you need a toner for me serums are what I tend to believe in a lot of the studies and the data would say that because they're smaller molecule size they can penetrate in that little bit further than a moisturiser um, obviously our skin is a barrier it's not designed to take an awful lot externally that's why you do need to look at internal but I'm a big fan of vitamin A vitamin C like I said earlier hyaluronic so for me skincare is simple I don't necessarily believe obviously if someone has a condition or a problem they they need to go elsewhere they need to seek medical assistance but I just believe that it should be the same for someone who's 20, 25, 90, 44 and my reason for that is it doesn't matter what age you are you tend to have to have the same key ingredients in your food so why can that not transfer into skincare that there's kind of tick the box ingredients that you need so with regards to application I would just always go by consistency don't know if you agree or disagree Emma but I always Start say water based thinnest. first exactly yeah. don't put your oil based on first as oils as we know are designed yeah. as a barrier so just always work your way up through and honestly I believe if you're applying too many serums, like I would query what's actually getting in. So yeah. two or three, two max, to be honest, and try and invest in a serum that has the correct levels, the correct doses, the format of the vitamin, and then you don't have to apply an awful lot of products and you're also then saving yourself financially. I am literally never, and I get sent every product that comes out. I look after my skin really, really well and I literally never apply more than one serum. So there you go. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you just need to find the right cleanser mm. for you and yeah. wash your face properly. Yeah. Find the right moisturiser that you like to keep on your skin that's not going to block your pores. Put it on. And really importantly is your sunscreen. And the question about... Um, do we use our sunscreen in the winter months? Well, the answer is yes, because, you know, UVB is almost non-existent in the in the winter months within the UK. But actually, UVA is pretty much exactly the same yeah. all year round. And that balance that you've got in the winter months is predominantly all UVA. And if you're doing this for an ageing thing to try and reduce the, the ageing effect of radiation on the skin, it's the UVA or the deeper penetrating ones, and it should be used all the time. If you're going to use one of the the mineral blocks or the organic blocks, which sometimes people find a little bit easier. Well, 
yes, that's good, but nobody really likes the very thick mineral blocks. They like the nice thin ones. But the thinner you make those particles, the more that's putting you into the UVB spectrum of protection as opposed to the UVA. So actually, if you can find one that is a visible look on the skin, but perhaps put a tint in it so that it's not a white look on the skin, for the winter months, that's probably a bit better. I think so. Driving home a couple weeks ago in the summer in Ireland, there was ads all over the radio from the government saying, you know, make sure you're applying your SPF or getting a lovely summer. So I really believe the frustrating part is that the educational piece is really heavy you walk into a pharmacy in the summertime all the SPFs are at the front of the shop you listen to the radio the government are encouraging you to apply SPF but it completely falls off the wayside from September, October, November, December so I do think that people feel it's a a selling technique when they hear you say to apply an SPF throughout the year but you're right it should be 365. Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably a whole show in SPF I have much to say on the topic myself (laughs) So Kath would like to know acids which ones should be part of my normal routine how and when so I'm a great lover of acids not crazy about glycolic love lactic but they are certainly an everyday part of my routine once a day never used to be but over the years I've kind of built up and built up and they're very important for me because I'm somebody who suffers from dullness and melasma and they work wonders for me how do you two feel about acids and where do you put them into your routine if at all personally I still suffer quite a lot with um, congestion under the skin so I am a fan of a salicylic acid. I think the disadvantage at the moment is that acids are so sexy and so trending that people are perhaps over-talking about them. So for that reason, people are now leaning on too heavily. But I definitely see a lot of our clients with compromised skin, irritated skin, and they're then applying more moisturiser to combat it. So I think I don't necessarily endorse it every day. Personally, I tend to say if it's lactic, maybe every second night, salicylic every third night. It depends on your skin. And again, back to what we said at the very beginning of this, it's about trying to learn what your own skin needs. Yes, exactly. Yet my cell turnover is too rapid, so I have to get rid of it. So that's why I use it so regularly. (laughs) But on the same subject, Emma, Sue says, because you mentioned that you have rosacea, Sue wants to know, should you use glycolic acid if you've got rosacea? There are lots of conflicting views. I think this is such a hot topic. Um, I get asked this question a lot. What are your thoughts as a rosacea sufferer and a consultant dermatologist? It's very difficult with the use of any acids other than lactic acid for the use for for rosacea because it is they're highly sensitizing to the skin and if you already suffer from rosacea depending on which type of rosacea you have then it can just irritate things and make it much worse I suppose you've got to ask yourself the question why do you want to use it you know why do you want to use the glycolic acid because there's probably a different chemical that would be better for you than wanting to use glycolic acid I would say if you've got rosacea I agree I think of all of them glycolic is the one that will cause you problems if you are super sensitive yeah Do you not think that a lot of people come in asking for those ingredients because they've read that that's the newer way to treat your skin? So like we said earlier, cleanse tone, moisturise was the way. Now acids are spoken about commonly. So people might not necessarily know why they want to use it, but just that they, inverted commas, should be using it. That they're supposed to. Yeah, 100%. And people don't know the difference between a water-soluble AHA and an oil-soluble BHA Mm. and and all of that stuff. Um, So yes, as you were just saying, you love a salicylic acid, which is a beta-hydroxy acid. I personally love a lactic because I don't have 
Congestion oh, problems. Sally, you big show off. <laughs> Ascorbic acid, do you say yay or, na- or nay to that for rosacea-prone skin? I'm not a massive fan to, of L-ascorbic acid. I, I think that depending on what you want to use it for, there are probably better chemicals out there. Um, so if you're wanting to use it for an antioxidant, there's potentially better chemicals that you could be putting on your skin. If you're wanting to use it for pigmentation, well, there's definitely better chemicals you could be putting on your skin. So... If you can tolerate it and um, you find that bit of brightening and it's kind of going to reduce a little bit of the oxidative stress on the skin, well, then that's okay to put in. The problem with, with, with it is in order to have it in that very effective form, it needs to be in a very acidic we point, which I is should just clarify at this point that we're talking about vitamin, vitamin C. C. Yes. When we say L-asorbic acid, that's what we're talking about. So oh. it, it will typically need to be sit in a pH of around 2 Uh, in order to be at its most effective and that is you know really acidic and if you have rosacea especially it's just it's going to just flare everything up entirely I mean truly truly vitamin C has been by far and away the most effective thing on my my melasma it was just horrific and it's had a dramatic effect in the past few years so I personally wouldn't be without it and Um, which formulas do you use well I would typically use a very strong one at night I mean you can't use them during the day because they're disgusting when they're that strong the texture is so revolting kind of gritty and slimy Um, you're really selling it to me I know but it works (laughs) and you can get up to 20% without any irritation on your skin I can go up to 30 okay um, there's a very high one um, by DS, uh, DCL, which I would only use as a course and then not again for yeah. the rest of the year. That's a 30 that, that worked fantastically well for me. Um, and so I can't be without vitamin C. But of course, it's not for everyone. And there are lots and lots and lots of my readers who find it irritating. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I find really interesting is you said the word chemicals a few times, but I don't, I'm sure your readers and listeners are the exact same, that the word chemical terrifies Drives me people up the wall. at the moment. <laughs> and people Everything just don't is a understand chemical. it. I know a glass of water is a chemical, but it really is such a, like people might listen that and think, oh God, do I want to use anything chemical on my skin? But the answer so as, is yes. Yeah, so <laughs> Everything is, is a chemical. Sandia wants to know, I have Indian skin that scars very easily. Pigmentation scars, not deep ones, but they fade very slowly. What are the best over-the-counter treatments to help them fade more quickly? This is a really contentious issue yeah. because lots of women, particularly women of colour, are sold such harsh treatments for pigmentation. Um, I've seen lots of women with all sorts of problems as a result. Yeah, so you've seen them go for these treatments and then it's actually made it worse. I've seen chemical burns, I've yeah. seen all sorts of things. So the reason why this post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation occurs is typically because there's been inflammation in the skin. And so the inflammation can either be from surgery or from um, something like an acne spot. And then afterwards, those melanocytes have become slightly more unstable and there's more melanin deposited within the skin. Now, um, that tends to be fixed and tends to stay there. And the darker your skin type, the longer it tends to stay there for. So um, eventually it will go, but it just takes time. So the idea of things that you want to then try to remove it or speed it up um, are twofold. First of all, the things that you can apply to the skin. um, And that's things to, first of all, settle the melanocytes down a little bit so they stay calm. So if you want to use some of the tyrosinase inhibitors, that will calm those melanocytes down. And then secondly, it's things that are going to increase your epidermal turnover so that you can get rid of the pigment that's in that part of the skin. So it's things targeting both of those. Um, And then, 
you can use some some of the energy-based devices. So these kind of low-fluence NDI lasers or picosecond lasers can be helpful for some people. But for the first step, really, in terms of over-the-counter things, it's the, the tyrosinase inhibitors is what you'd want to use. And you can get those over-the-counter in things like um, licorice extract or bilberry seed extract. They have got some evidence behind them. Um, or the, the main chemical, if I can use that, is, uh, would be hydroquinone. Kirsty wants to know, I'd like to know how to get rid of the hard white spots I get around my eyes. They just just don't shift. I think they're called milia and nothing I've tried works and I don't want to follow internet advice and stick pins in them when they're so close <laughs> to my eyes. But that's true. If they're close to your eyes. That's a, that's a dangerous business. I just don't think anyone should be encouraged to do it themselves at home anyway. Because you, you said about inflammation there with regards to hyperpigmentation. I think we see so many people, first of all, milia is the most commonly read article on our website ever. Just It's constantly up there as number one no matter what we speak about it's the most common but secondly then we have people like that send us in photographs where they've tried to as they say stab it go at it pick up a safety pin I just don't understand would you not go to a local clinic and allow someone who's qualified to use a needle to to remove it it's I mean I don't ever want a facial without extractions what's the point but some people love. What's the point? But that's Some people adore the spa day where it's just like lots of massage and holistic. I personally wouldn't invest in that. No, but I want a good going over. Personally. But Milia, is there any way to prevent it? I suppose that's the key thing that people always ask. Yes, and it's very often people with very dry skin. I find end up with Milia. Me included. I think that's right. And obviously a lot of rubbing of the skin as well will then induce uh, the the milia response. But I will just um, urge a little bit of caution on um, pricking them yourself at home. I have had a patient admitted to ITU with sepsis as a consequence of of trying to do their own milia. They ended up with a periorbital cellulitis and ended up in ITU. So um, these things can happen. But what I would say about milia, anybody listening, although... We're, we, we're definitely all in agreement that you shouldn't be performing home surgery on yourself. What I will say is that very often milia over time will just come to the surface and can be gently rubbed away with a flannel. I think they that's get closer right. and closer and closer and then you just realise they're ready. They're and as you're taking off your cleanser, if you just give a little bit of extra attention with your flannel, they will generally come away. I, I would say that's spot on advice and um, that's the advice I give also for children or babies coming in with um, milia, which you see a lot of. Yes, and it's just that nice... Nice cotton flannel, a little bit of lukewarm water and just very gently, just rubbing at them very gently and they exactly will come away. And they don't ever scar because of the position that they are within the skin. They might scar if you prick it. If you prick pain. it, yeah, exactly. It's got the <laughs> yes, exactly. Rachel would like to know tips for the best homemade skin treat or remedy. This is a good question. Is there anything that you make yourself at home or do you just buy products? For me, I'm a big fan of clinical and data and using ingredients that I believe make a difference short term and long term. So I tend to be like I have a, a live segment every Friday on Irish television and they just dislike me because they want me to do homemade all the time. I just don't tend to endorse it. Um, if I had to do something myself, probably the only thing I lean on would be a little bit of brown sugar and something like a coconut oil, for example. If I want my I don't breathe through my nose properly, it's a condition. So I tend to breathe through my mouth, which means my lips get ridiculously dry and no bam in the world fixes it. So I just tend to try and slough off the dead skin cells. I, really I find a scoop a scoop of sea salt flakes in your shampoo if you've got a really dry scalp is quite handy. Uh, Katie wants to know, skincare when pregnant and breastfeeding, what is safe? I've heard retinol should be avoided, but is that true? Or is it the same as hair dye and considered out of date now? No, it's not the same as hair dye, which is fine. If you tolerate hair dye, fine. Retinols are not advised during pregnancy. Um, is there anything else that you 
suggest pregnant women avoid? Um, salicylic acid also has to be slightly um, careful in pregnancy, particularly towards the end the end stages of pregnancy. So that's something that should be avoided, really. Um, and I mean, there's a number of other skin things, but not that would come up in your day to day topical skincare. But we always say try not panic. If you've just found out today that you're pregnant and you've been using the products for the last few weeks, just stop now. You don't need to. Yeah, upset yourself about yeah, it. I, I mean, yeah, I think, lots, so I think lots of us have found out we were pregnant after we've been um, drinking uh, normally for several weeks. And the baby's perfect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Miriam would like to know, and this is such a common one, and one I've had treated myself, a spider vein on the bridge of my nose, is it worth thinking about getting it removed or do they generally reappear? Is there any risk to the removal process? Uh, so if I may say, Miriam, I had exactly this, um, and I had it zapped away by um, IPL when I was in New York and it was the most satisfying treatment I've ever had. It was just blasted away in about half a second and it never came back. Yeah, It's not it, that expensive to do either. No, it's not. Um, and they're very, very easy to treat. And it's actually 1.5 milliseconds is the, how quickly it will disappear. Wow. <laughs> so it if, was, It's like a blowing sensation, yeah, that's isn't right. it? And it's gone. It's, if you've only got one, it's just on the nose, then um, the, be- the best laser of all actually is to use a pulsed dye laser because that's just going to target the red. Um, you're left with a little bruise and the bruise will just take time to settle down for about five to seven days, which you can cover with me. Makeup. Um, so that's probably the best and most effective way to stop it from coming back. It's a brilliant um, treatment. If yeah. it does your head in, just get it done. I can't Absolutely. recommend it enough. It's, it's deeply so satisfying. <laughs> you guys are brilliant. Tell us where you can be found on the internet because I know people will want to seek you out. So we are found on theskinnerd.com and all social platforms as well. DM us, ask any questions, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And people can also set up an appointment with you online, can't they? Absolutely. Where you can have a consultation. Take Emma, what's going on with you? Where can you be found? You can be found on the telly as well, the internet. <laughs> yeah, so um, I predominantly, most of my work is my NHS practice. For patients who want to see me privately, um, then you can look through my website. It's dremmacraythorn.com um, and you can book in there, but you can still see me in the NHS. So, <laughs> And you're on, you're on Instagram as Dr. Emma Craythorn. I'm on Instagram as Dr. Emma Craythorn. Um, yeah, that's right. And you're on Bad Skin Clinic yeah. on Quest. You're so, all over the place. Yeah, so the Bad Skin Clinic, it's new episodes every Tuesday at 10 and then it's repeated on a Wednesday at 9 a Saturday at 8 and now a Sunday at 9 <laughs> no, so I am not all, all the time We've had so many questions that we couldn't fit them in but I think we've decided you're going to come back next time Absolutely. and answer the rest Definitely Brilliant so tune in to the next episode for even more from these guys lots of expert advice to your beauty gripes Do keep your questions coming. Remember to tag me on social media and I will find you. I'm Sally Who's Everywhere, S-A-L-I, not a double L and not a Y. Um, And I will find your questions and always try to answer them in the remaining episodes if I can. Thank you very much for listening. This was the Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes and it was brought to you by Avon.